We are continuing on in Hosea for Advent. So I encourage you to turn to Hosea chapter 3. That would be on page 890 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. We're going to be looking at Hosea chapter 3. As we've been going through the book of Hosea, we've seen this major theme. The major theme is this. God's people have not been faithful to God. We have not kept the covenant. We have not kept his commandments. Instead of that, we have chased after ran after other gods, other things. We have desired the things of this world rather than the things of God. We have hungered and thirst for our sinful desires rather than God's holiness and justice and truth. So the main imagery given in Hosea is we, like God's bride, have been unfaithful. And we have chased after others and abandoned God's love. But what's so powerful in the midst of the book of Hosea, where it lists up God's just and holy wrath, God's just judgment, we see here this amazing display of God's unconditional love and grace and goodness. And it comes here to chapter 3. Remember, chapters... One and two were to show just how unfaithful God's people had been and how God is going to draw them back by stripping away all the idols and all the false things. And and God is going to speak tenderly to their hearts so that they could come to themselves. They could wake up and realize, what have I done? And that they would run back to God. Hosea chapter 1 and 2 are parallels to the New Testament story of the prodigal son. Especially Hosea chapter 2, as we saw it building, where God's going to do these things so that God's people will they'll come back to their senses and say, Oh, I was better off with God. What am I doing with these idols? What, what am I doing in all this immorality and this wicked? It's destroying me. And they... Run back to God. But just as we see in the prodigal story, when the prodigal son is still way off and he's come to his senses. Remember, he had, he had asked his father for his inheritance early and he'd squandered it on immoral living and wickedness. And he was, there was a famine in the land and he was starving. And he said he was feeding the pigs and he was longing for the food that the pigs were eating. And he... And he What's it say in a text? He, he woke up. He became aware that I'm better off with my father. But he realized this, that he is no longer worthy to be his father's son anymore. So all that he hopes is that he could be made a servant in his father's house. That's his best hope at this point. 
So he's journeying back to the Father. And when he was still way far off, his Father, who was looking and longing for him, sees him, and the Father comes running to him. And he's practiced this line over and over and over in his head to tell his Father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So that's the line. That's the line that came to him when he was there wallowing with the pigs and the filth, starving to death. And that's the line that finally when he falls to the feet of his father, he says, I have sinned against heaven and earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And what does the father do? He says, you're absolutely right. Get away from me. No! That isn't how the story turns out. Now remember who he's telling this story to. The scribes and the Pharisees and religious leaders. And that was the line they were ready for. The father to say, absolutely right. You're not worthy to be my son. Get out of here. Get out of here. But that is not Jesus Christ. And that is not the Father. And that is not the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So the Father looks at the Son and He calls out for them to bring a ring and the robe and to celebrate because this, and what does the Father call Him? This my Son. It isn't whether He is worthy to be called His Son. Obviously, he has abandoned that and rebelled to that. But God says, this my son. He restores him to full inheritance, to that position of being his son. This my son, who was dead, is now alive, who was once lost, has now been found. And you have one of the greatest celebrations in all of Scripture. So that's when we looked at Hosea 2. That was at the heart of Hosea 2. Where God is bringing the people of Israel to that point where they will realize that they are better off with God than with all the idols. And that's Hosea chapter 2, verse 7. If you look at Hosea chapter 2, verse 7. Remember, we looked at this last week. God is so loving that he walls off, he puts barriers between his people and the false idols and the false desires of their sinful flesh and their false desires for immorality. God walls them off. And then here, God even, they're still, God's people is still chasing after these false things. And God enables them to be faster than his people. So they can't even catch them. So right when they're about to grab a hold of that, they stumble and fall. That's how God's preserving. He's keeping. His his providence is working so powerfully in the lives of each of his people. Verse 7, she will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, 
I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. So there it is. There's the prodigal son story in Hosea. That realization that without God, we have nothing. Nothing. You can have a great job. You can have a great house. You can have a handsome children. You could have a great retirement program. You could have everything that this world has to offer you. But if you do not have Jesus Christ, if you do not have the Holy Spirit within you, if you are not right with God Almighty, <laughs> you're in trouble. Not only do you have nothing, but the wages of sin is death. So here you have this picture of God so loving, so steadfast in His patience and love and that, that He's extending out His grace to make His people alive so that they will come to their senses and run back to God. But there's this issue as we get into Hosea chapter 3. I'm going to read Hosea 3 at this point, and then we're going to talk about this issue. And Hosea 3 points to the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem. So I'm going to give you the problem here, and then we'll read this, and then, Lord willing, we'll try to find the solution to the problem. The problem is this. How can a just, holy God forgive sinners? How can he do that? If God is just and God is holy, how can he forgive us? How can that happen? So Hosea chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. So here God is speaking to Hosea, telling him to go show his love to Gomer and remember, Hosea represents him, God, and Gomer represents God's people. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another, it is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord, to his blessings in the last day. You can see the prodigal son. 
displayed in these scriptures. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. It is inspired and fallible. Breathed out by you. Father, we pray that your word would guide us. That your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and understanding. That you would give us discernment. That we would know the truth. And the truth would set us free. In Christ's wonderful name. Amen. How is it that a holy, just God can forgive sinners? Can forgive sinners. And here we're getting at the heart of Hosea. Hosea 1 and 2 listed the sins of Gomer, which is the sins of God's people. And then if you go on through the rest of Hosea, Hosea is going to show how corrupt the priests have become, how corrupt the sacrificial system, that the priests and those of the temple were more concerned about taking advantage of the people than offering sacrifice to God. It's going to show how the kings had become so corrupt that the kings of the people of Israel were more concerned for their wealth, their greed, their gain than the people knowing God and living according to Him. And even the prophets, so many of the prophets had become false and told lies and distortions to lead the people away from God's truth for their own personal gain. For their standing with the corrupt kings. And you see this entire cycle of deception and corruption for personal gain and exploitation. This is what we see spelled out in the rest of Hosea. And we see where it's building up. It's building up that God will someday bring the king of kings from the line of David. Someday he will bring the prophet who is the way, the truth, and the life. And he will bring the priest, the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, the priest which is without blemish and spot, the high priest who himself is the sacrifice, the lamb who will be slain for our sins. But Lord willing, that's next Sunday. This Sunday we're looking in at the issue of how it can be that God can forgive his people. And here we see how it is in chapter 3. Chapter 3 speaks of this. A price has to be paid. If Gomer is going to be freed from her slavery to sin and her adultery, she has wandered so from her husband, Gomer has, and fallen into such immorality that now we find her enslaved. She has no freedom. She is held in bondage. And she has completely lost everything that is good and true and right. Hosea has every right. Hosea would be perfectly just. Hosea would be perfectly holy to leave Gomer in her enslavement and her death. There is nothing 
that requires Hosea to free her from slavery, but this, God's command, God's will, and God's purposes. And here we see that's very true of God. When it comes to us, we do not deserve, we have no entitlement, we have no privilege. We can't come before God and say, God, you must save me. No. Remember when we looked at Ephesians 2? We were all in our sins. We were enslaved to sin, to death, and the devil. Remember our big enemies? We are children of wrath, children of disobedience, and that's where we stood. We stood condemned before God. And just like the prodigal son, we had squandered everything and we find ourselves in the state of enslavement leading to death. But then you see in verse 1 this command. This is a command of God. And God is commanding Hosea to do this to show his heart. God is holy. God is just. And God is love. And God is truth. And God is kind. And we saw in in chapter 2 where God speaks tenderly to the hearts of his people. Even in their brokenness. Even in their sin. In their enslavement to sin. He speaks tenderly. He wakes them up. Out of the darkness they are in, he shines his light so they see a glimmer of that light and they are drawn to the light and they are drawn to his love and they are freed from their sin. So we see that in verse 1. God commands him. And here we see where God is displaying his unconditional love. This is what he tells Hosea to show Gomer. Unconditional love. Grace. Grace. Hosea had forsaken him. Hosea had been unfaithful. Hosea had left him. And that's the state each and every one of us were in in our sins. But just as Hosea goes, God comes to us in his unconditional love and grace and says, you are my child. And he makes us alive and brings us to our senses. And we come before him. At the heart of chapter 3 is verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3. So I bought her. There it is. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a letheth of barley. Now, not, not many people here may be familiar with shekels and that equation for barley. But if you look in Exodus, Exodus 21, You have a little depiction here. And in Exodus 21, it talks about, Exodus 21, it talks about a ransom being paid. So Exodus 21, verse 30. 
If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption. So here we have ransom. Now we have redemption of his life, whatever is imposed on him. If the ox gores a slave, there's the key word, slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. So to redeem, to ransom, to pay for the life of that slave that was destroyed, that slave was killed, to ransom and redeem that dead slave's life is 30 shekels. Uh Uh-oh. But we only have 15 shekels in our passage. Well, how do we get to the 30 shekels? Well, here you go. Leviticus 27. Leviticus 27, it says this. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that is his possession then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at, can anyone guess? 15 shekels. To the man in the front row. 15 shekels. So literally, literally, this is the price of the lowest slave who is dead. Now, if, now, how much value to you is a dead slave? But that's literally what God has Homer, I mean Hosea, God has Hosea go and buy back a dead slave. Dead in her sins, dead in her immorality, dead in her rebellion, and he has Hosea go and buy her back. He pays the slave price so that she could go from being enslaved and dead in her sins to, listen how gracious this is, dwelling in his house. The emphasis in this passage is with him. Here it is, verse 3. And I said to her, now here's one of the most beautiful love poems you'll ever hear. You must dwell as mine for many days. You you must. You must dwell as mine. You can't belong to anyone else anymore. You've got to stop chasing after idols, chasing after your sinful desires, chasing after everything else. Just stay with me. Be with me. This is powerful. You have God speaking out to each and every one of you. If you have been redeemed and ransomed and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ the most precious thing ever shed, then God is calling out to you. God is saying, be with Him. Desire Him more than anything else. Hunger for Him more than anything else. 
be willing to lose anything of this earth because if you have God, you have everything. Everything. He is worth more than anything. Cherish Him. Treasure Him. Dwell with Him. Love Him only. That's what's being called out here. That's what we see God working in Hosea and Gomer, and that's God showing His heart to each and every one of His people. We see where Hosea buys back Gomer, the dead slave, and we see where God buys us back by paying the debt that our sins before Him. Jesus on the cross takes our sins. He bears the wrath of the Father that we deserve. And instead of wrath and instead of death, we receive love and forgiveness and eternal life and grace and goodness. What Hosea is driving us to and what the story of the prodigal son is driving us to is for each and every one of us, when we realize the state of sin and death that we are in and we realize the grace of God on the cross, we come before God and and what do we say? We say, I have sinned against heaven and earth. I do not deserve to be your son anymore. And we hear grace, grace. And God says, this son of mine, this child of mine. Remember, we become God's adopted children. Receiving his inheritance of all the blessings that are in Jesus Christ. So you also, so will I also be with you. That's how verse 3 ends. It says, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. This is Hosea 3. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. Here's the promise. So will I also be to you. Where do you hear that in the New Testament? Even though there's times we may be unfaithful, God is always faithful. He's calling us to dwell with Him. He will love us. He will hold us. He will keep us. He will cherish us. And He will enable us to persevere to the end. You're not only justified because of God's grace, you are sanctified because of God's grace. And when Christ returns, you will be glorified because of His grace, and you will live forever in eternity with God because of His grace. Each one of us can stand before Him and we say, I have sinned against heaven and earth. I do not deserve to be your son anymore. And yet, because of what Jesus Christ does on the cross, God the Father looks at us and says, My child, who once was dead, now you're alive. You were once lost, but now you're found. 
celebration. Celebration. And that's where Hosea continues. Verse 4. Now verse 4 points back to verses chapters 1 and 2. Remember chapters 1 and 2. God strips away from his people all the idols, all the immorality, all the things that were tripping them up from returning to God, all the things that they desired more than God. We see that God is taking these things away, and that's what verse 4 points back to. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince. Remember, he's Hosea is mostly prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel. So many of their kings were wicked. So God's saying, I am going to remove them from you. Without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without epod or household gods, he's going to remove any sacrifices to him, anything that has to do with the temple, anything that has to do with false gods, with idols, he's just stripping that all away. They're going to be taken to captivity. They're going to lose everything of this heaven and earth. That's what he's saying. Afterward, here's here's verse 5. The children of Israel shall return. So here it is. Here's the return. Here's the repentance. Here's the turning. Here's the prodigal son waking up in the filth with the pigs and saying, what am I doing? i got to get back to my father. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. There it is. They're not seeking idols anymore. They're not seeking after the things of this world. They are seeking God. The Lord their God. And who else? And David their king. Finally, a righteous king. A true king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the king who is going to be the priest, who is going to be the prophet, who is going to be the sacrifice, who is going to be the savior, the king who is everything. And here it is, and they shall come in fear to the Lord. I have sinned against heaven and earth, and I no longer deserve to be called your child. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness. To His goodness. Remember the prodigal son story? The father didn't wait there imposing on this porch so that the son would grovel all the way up and send him away. No. What does the father do? When he sees him still Afar off, the father comes running and embraces and calls for a celebration. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness, his grace, his love in the latter. Remember, this is why little baby Jesus, where is he born? Anyone? Where is baby Jesus born? Yeah. Bethlehem, right? 
What's important about Bethlehem? It's the birthplace of and David. Finally, when we celebrate Christmas and that little baby is born, who is that? That's our king. That's the line of David. That's the Messiah. Finally, we know the truth and we're set free. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace, which is beyond our comprehension. We thank you for your love, which is immeasurable. We thank you for your goodness, which is overwhelming. Father, we pray that you would guide us to return to you to seek you and to live for your glory. Father, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your love. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.